glad you came to church this week? Aren't you glad you came to church last week? Didn't those guys do a great job last week, Hayden and Brandon and all the youth? It, it's, you know, and there's, there's something, I don't, I don't know where you are this morning. I know, I know people and I know there's, there's some pretty heartbreaking stuff happening in people's lives and there's great stuff happening in people's lives. But, you know, um, the fact that you're here and that you're in the community of God, you're, you're around the family of God, it just, this is where you need to be. Uh, you need to be in this place, not, not this place specifically necessarily, but, but within the family of God, because as we worship together, as the Spirit enters in, as the Spirit is around us, just our, our broken and hurt hearts, just being in that place to, to sort of rest and soak in what's happening is, is good. It was all I could do not to get up last week and, and preach for 15 minutes when those kids got done 15 minutes early. <clears throat> so I know Brandon is kind of thinking he should get to do this, but since there's 15 minutes banked last week, I don't know if you took your note sheet out yet, but we're going today. Um, I, now, I, I need to touch on something. Hayden said something last week. He said, you know, I, I mentioned in this Melchizedek guy and... I'm going to leave that to Pastor Dave. And, and I appreciate that because that is something that I've really been looking forward to digging into and researching. And so, um, no, that's not today. And no, that's not next week because uh, we'll be on our way home from Texas from, from doing a wedding, being in a wedding, marrying our, our youngest off. Um, It'll be the next week. So February 26th, we will tackle chapter 7 of the book of Hebrews and see if we can wrap our, 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 our heads around the order of Melchizedek. This morning, we are in Hebrews chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 11, if you would uh, turn there. And I want to remind us that the original audience to this sermon were first-generation believers, and they're struggling. I mean, they're, they're wrestling with really hard things in their lives. One of the biggest things that they're wrestling with is persecution. Persecution, not just from outside the church, or I guess it's kind of their former faith. Judaism is beginning to press back in on them, and it's becoming hard to stay true and blue to their Savior, Jesus Christ. And, and just as happens to all of us when hard things happen in our life, our humanity... Our sinful self wants to gravitate to the easy, to, to the non-confrontive. And we, be, we begin to look and go, well, maybe just like the nation of Israel. Wait, it, would, it was so much easier in Egypt. Really, was it? Really? I mean, when you were in Egypt, you wanted out. And now that you're out and, and life is still hard, we still struggle on a daily basis. You're like, well, maybe, you know, we, could we go back? No, 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 we don't go back. We don't go back. Um, <clears throat> these early Christians presumably had fully embraced this new way of life, faith and obedience to Jesus Christ, to what he did, to what he commanded, and to the fact that he was indeed God. Jesus Christ is greater than all things. And when we surrender our lives to Jesus as our Savior, that's when the battle really begins. 
Um, because when we surrender to Jesus as our king, when we become a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ, we do not step onto the Christianity cruise ship, right? We step onto a battleship. And we become a part of a ship that's going in the other direction of an entire culture that wants to pull us and drag us and float us and blow us on down the river with them. Because the more people they can get on their side, the more justification there is to what they are doing. Isn't that us? We do that too. I, want, I, I know the Bible says that this is wrong, but I want to do this thing. So I just, I just go out and find as many people as I can who call themselves Christians or who are in sort of the same, I think are in the same mindset. And, and as long as we all believe the same thing, well, then that makes it okay. But it doesn't. It doesn't. And, and we are reminded of that today. You see, we, we step onto a battleship because our enemy, the devil, is real. And he, was, he is prowling around this earth hungry to kill and destroy whatever he can. And if he can't have our soul, then he wants our joy and our peace and our life. He's real. He wants to burn your life to the ground. If he can get you to make a bad decision, if he can get you to disobey your Savior Jesus Christ, he lights the fire. And then unfortunately, we often fan the flame. We think secretly. We think it's not going to hurt us that much, or it's just me. It's not going to affect the people around me. And, and when a house burns to the ground, it affects many people. You see, when we surrender our lives to Jesus, we begin a journey of faith that lasts as long as we have breath on this earth. And, and it's hard sometimes. Jesus is our pioneer. We know that. He goes before us. He has gone before us. He has shown us the way. He goes before us as we travel the road. Every day of our lives is a journey. It's a part of the process. And we need to remember that. It's a journey to somewhere. And, and the question then is, where is the road you are on leading to? Because you're on a road. And you're traveling. Do you even know what road you are on? Do you even know where you are headed. As you sit here this morning, you need to remember that Jesus is the greatest thing that has ever happened to you. You have heard his name. You know things about him. That is the first step, of course. That is a step. The fact that you know his name and are hearing truth about who he is and what he has done for us, that is a gift. The question, of course, is what are you doing with that gift? What are you doing with the name of Jesus? I was driving a school bus Friday afternoon, and I don't know what the conversation behind me, and the kid, that one of the little kids, he said, well, well, if you die, you go to heaven, right? And, and, and the other one says, and, and then I, in my mind, and I think I said out loud, well, that depends on what you do with Jesus. Now, he didn't hear me, and it obviously wasn't a real serious conversation, but there are, we need to be ready to answer that. If a, if a person comes to us and says, hey, is my relative in heaven? We need to know how to answer that, right? We need to know what to say. Well, I, I don't know. What did your friend believe? What, what did he believe? Because lip service and religious action does not spell salvation. We can't work our way 
into heaven. It just doesn't work. We see that in our passage today. So in chapter 11, verse, verse 11, chapter 5, verse 11, through the end of chapter 6 is where we find one of the passages that many stumble over. And I thought, man, I told my wife this yesterday. I'm like, of course, this would be the week where we're, where we're leaving Sunday after church and we're going to be gone for a week. And, you know, it would be this one. I'm going to try and get through this. Uh, and, and that's another thing. It's, it's challenging for sure. And there are echoes of, of mystery in what we read today. But, but we don't have to be afraid to read it. We don't have to be afraid to struggle through it. And I don't even believe that we have to be afraid of saying, you know what, I, I don't really fully understand it. It is a mystery to me. We can say that. Because there are plenty of other things in Scripture that are literally black and white and red that are clear that there's no doubt in our mind that this is what it means. And, and we, we read something that sort of, sort of we wonder about it and we wonder what's it saying and it seems to be saying this, then we need to take all of Scripture and what we know, which is why it's important that we invest in time to know it and we can compare those things to each other. Now, God obviously gave us this for a reason. It is the word of God. And today we're going to look at three main topics. All three are related to our progress as believers. You know, I, I originally said pilgrim, the, the title of this was originally pilgrims should make progress. And I hate the word should. I just do. You know, shoulda, woulda, coulda, right? No, no, pilgrims make progress. If you're a believer, it is just something that should happen. See, I still said the word should. I hate that cheer. I gotta find my place again. All three of these are related to our progress as believers because progress is a given. As believers, there's progress. Um, so today we take a look at the marks of spiritual immaturity, our call towards spiritual maturity, and finally the basis for spiritual security. This passage can cause followers of Jesus to question their salvation in an unhealthy way. And, and, and here's the thing. We can be sure of our salvation. Scripture tells us, John says in 1 John, I'm telling you this so that you will know. You can know that. Should we be... Should we be sure of what salvation is and surrender our lives to Jesus as he calls our names? Yes, and we can know. But the testing of our faith, the struggles in our life, that is what proves whether that surrender was genuine or not. We can know. Because if it isn't real, we will drift and drift and our hearts will grow cold and cold. And before long, that light that those around us presumed was in our life is shown to only be a figment of our imagination. Uh, there's a book called A Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, I saw the movie. I didn't actually read the book. I'm sure the book is better. Um, written by John Bunyan on the, the life journey of a Christian. And it is just that. It is a journey. Just like our marriages, when we step foot on a stage and we surrender our whole life, right? We don't know what that means in reality. And, and then we enter this journey, this long, long journey, right? It's not easy. 
Um, I've been trying to formulate what I'm going to say to my daughter. Um, and, and I have 9,000 words to say. And she said, this ceremony can't be over 35 minutes. <laughs> so I have some, some, you know, pairing to do. But, man, you, we just can't go into decisions like that haphazardly, can we? We shouldn't. Um, no matter what road we're on, we, we want to make progress, right? Uh, so when we're in kindergarten and elementary school and middle school and high school, you know, we, we don't want to know as a graduating senior only what we, we learned in kindergarten, right? We, we, we want to progress in, in our, uh, our growth as far as our maturity, we want to know things. We need to know things. They have tests that, that are given to make sure that, that they have accomplished these things in these years that they have, they have studied. Uh, we want to be able to, or we need to be able to make more adult-like decisions when we graduate from high school. And then when we go off to college, anybody in here want to be in college your whole life? And you college students, I mean, is it just so good that you just want to do the same thing year after? No, you want to graduate. You, you want to graduate in your God-given career, whatever that is, so that you can then go out and get a job in that career because you have, you have progressed. You have learned things. You have grown. And when you start a job, who wants to be in the same job with the same wage the rest of their life? Now, Okay, I've been in this one for 30 years, but I don't mean it that way. I mean, all of us want to progress in what we know. We want to do a better job at our job. My brother encouraged me to go to seminary. He said, David, you need to go to seminary so that, you know, you have more options when it comes to jobs. And I, and I told him over the phone, I'm like, I don't, I don't need more options. I, I'm, I'm perfectly I'm perfectly satisfied in the size of church, in the place that I'm at, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But, but the more I looked at that, the more I thought, but if I do the process of seminary, then I will be able to do whatever it is, wherever I am, better. In a more mature way, sometimes. Now, Hebrews 6.12 kind of sums it up nicely, I think. Hebrews 6.12 says, We do not want you to become lazy. We can get that way, can't we? It's hard to get out of the house in the morning. Uh, it was a long week. You know, I, I just, I'm not sure I can, I can face the people in church today. I just don't know if I can make it to Bible study. I'm, I'm et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now, I'm not saying there aren't times where that happens. But when that happens, the next time it's a little bit easier. And the next time it's just a little bit easier. And then we become lazy. Um, the preacher knows that as followers of Jesus Christ, as children of God, um, if we aren't growing, there's a problem. He also knows that when testing and persecution come against us, that, that our flesh's natural in, inclination is, is to go down the path of least resistance. 
So the preacher first tap, tackles the topic of spiritual immaturity. I wanted to flip this and make it positive, but I thought, well, he didn't, so I'm going to stick with how he's preaching it, and then we'll just look at some things along the way. There's four tendencies that, as Christ followers, we must with intention fight against, and he lists them right here. Verse 11, chapter 5. We have much to say about this, but it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. You've given up. Dullness toward the word, he covers that earlier in, in the book of Hebrews, is a mark of spiritual immaturity. The preacher is about to expound on the subject of the priesthood. And, and he says to, him, to, to his audience, I'm not sure you're ready for it. I'm just not sure you are willing to, to listen. I mean, we have to be careful that we don't have our lives in reverse or, or we've just sort of stopped and we feel like that we can just sit here because if we don't continue down the road of progression, the current will take us backwards. 1 Thessalonians 2.13 And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. We accept it for what it is, and, and we give it every opportunity to permeate every aspect of our life, our decisions, our actions, our thoughts, our word, worldview, what we teach our children, our priorities, our decisions financially. Because <clears throat> these are not human words or ideas. But God's, read it, pray through it, practice it, meditate on it. Listen to preachers and teachers who also accept the authority of God's word. You can find anybody to say anything about the Bible today. You can find any quote-unquote Christian to have any kind of viewpoint that you want to have. We have to be careful. We have to choose wisely. So the, the preacher first tackles the topic of spiritual immaturity, and that's dullness toward the word. Get into a Bible study, attend a men's group or a ladies' group, other ways in which we can, because there are so many loud voices out there, we don't have to go looking for them, they're just berating us constantly on a daily basis. We need to be intentional and fight this fight. Another mark of spiritual immaturity is an inability to share. Look at verse 12 and 13. No timeline is the same for every person. Um, we, we all learn and we grow in a different, at a different pace, okay? But, but there is a point where we've learned enough to begin sharing what we've learned with a sense of confidence and knowledge. Uh, verse 12, in fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk. Not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. The preacher says, enough, enough of the ABCs. Look, um, you got to make progress. You got to make progress. Elementary classes are important for sure, and we all start there. And you should never be ashamed 
When you first come to Christ or, or you're just inexperienced reading the Bible to say, I, I don't know that. But if you don't know that, find it out. Study it for yourself. Um, research it. It's available right here in God's word. The preacher goes on in verse 14. But solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Another sign of spiritual immaturity is when we are consuming in our lives baby food only, a baby food only diet. Um, put that thing back on. Who, who had that? Is, is he still in here? Was it Kobe? Do you, put that thing on. I don't know why you brought that today, but I, come up here. Come, come here. Hurry. I'm, I got limited time here. Get, get up here. Just give me the face. Here, give it to me. Give it to me. Give it to me. Um, Jerry, come here. Here, now stand facing everybody else. I want you to put this on. Can you see? Can you, can you, can you, can you see me? This is what the preacher is talking about. Somebody that's old. You're not the oldest in this room, but pretty close. I know. I'm spoken. Second? Second oldest. Dick is first, right? Well, Dick Vandal, is he older than you? Is Dick Vandal older than you? How old are you? 81. 81. Anybody older than 81 in here? You are not older than 81. That's pretty old. Um, okay, go sit down, Jerry. Thank you. No, you can't have this. I might just put this on. See, the whole, the whole point is he didn't look right. He didn't look natural. And, and that's the way it is with us who are old in the faith, but we have faces that look like that. We're still infants. Let's, I don't know what this means, but let's get off our dollar and on our dime. Is that right? Or did I mix euphemisms there? Get off your duff and on your dime? Was that one? Okay, those are Donald Anderson-isms, I guess, because I remember hearing those growing up. And I don't know what it means to be on a dime, but, but we need to get to work. We, we need to get to work. This baby food diet, gro growth in our knowledge of God's word. Um, growth in our obedience to God's word happens as we progress from baby food to meat. You know, when we do, when we do, when we do crazy, challenging stuff at youth group and at camp, we make high school kids eat baby food, right? That's not a natural thing to do, nor should it be as we talk about faith. Um, you know, we're not all young pilgrims here this morning. We do have young pilgrims in the room. And they're still trying to get down the ABCs, and we need to help them. We need to help them get that solid foundation. But, but then there's one day where built on that foundation, that begins to extend into the rest of our life. And, and one of those, it's a final mark of spiritual immaturity, is that, the, is, is, an is that we are unskillful in using the word. Um, if, if we're still taking in only milk, then we're unable to distinguish good from evil. 
There, there are things that, are, that we're clearly told. Uh, it seems that some think it is enough to call themselves a Christian, but in reality, when push comes to shove, they have no idea what it really means to be a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus Christ, to imitate the life of Christ. It's happening all through our nation. Evil is called good. Good is called evil. People that, that should know better don't. And, and it's because they're giving in to a path of least resistance. There's pressure. There's political pressure. There's, there's social pressure. There's religious pressure to, for, for them to change their mind and to sort of read into what the Bible actually says. I, I, I love that. I, the idea of, of what happened to Greg Laurie, that the, the, the movie that's coming out. Um, now, I, I don't know theologically what, what all is going to come out of that. Um, but, but look, there was a point in time where the church was against, where, where the church just held all of those hippies, and there are a few in the room today, held all those hippies at arm's length and said, no, we don't want to have anything to do with them. Well, if you don't have anything to do with them, how can you tell them the truth of the gospel? Now, I, I'm, I'm, yes, all are welcome here. End of statement. Now, will, will I ever stop preaching that sin is sin? No, I will not. Because even Jesus said, go and sin no more. Jesus has, God has expectations for us. There are commands for us. If, if you love me, Jesus said, you will do as I command. Okay, but, but we need to have the opportunity to share that message. And, and we need to make sure that we are skillful in using God's word. If, if we evaluate our lives and we see these four marks as signs of immaturity, then we need to take heed. We need to repent of our laziness. We need, to, uh, we need to acknowledge our immaturity and ask the Holy Spirit to help us grow. That's what the preacher tackles next. So, so that we take action, so that we take steps in the direction of progress, so that we don't grow dull towards the word of God, so that we are able to share with others God's truth and, and how it is changing our lives, what it, is, what it has done in our lives, so that we are feasting on more than milk, and are able to apply what we have read and what we are learning to our everyday lives, actions, and decisions. The second topic is the call to spiritual maturity. Now, I've met with many couples through the years as they prepare for marriage, and second to their individual commitments to Jesus Christ, the success of their marriage in the coming days and months and years depends heavily on their willingness to leave behind their opinions, their selfish, self-single-life stuff. And their willingness to learn new things as they grow old together. To make progress. In the first three verses of Hebrews chapter 6, we hear a call to progress. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, instruction about cleansing rites, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment, and God permitting, we will do so. Growth is normal for every Christ follower because of the spiritual battle we are in, but if we aren't going forward, we are going 
backwards. And it is God who enables us to progress as we surrender to him daily, as we receive his word, and as we act on it. And there's six foundational truths of our Christian walk listed here. These will be really fast because they're not in your note sheet. The first, the first two that he lists are repentance and faith. Those are God-focused. That's, that's our salvation. That's our initial surrender to Jesus Christ. It's our repentance. To repent means to change our mind and turn the other way. We turn from the world and we look at Jesus. Not, not just feeling bad about sin, but repenting of it. And, and once we do, we trust God to forgive us and purify us of all unrighteousness as he said he would do. Acts 20 verse 21, I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. That is belief. Romans 10 9, Jesus is the Messiah. We confess with our mouth and we believe in our heart. The next two, baptism and the laying on of hands, refer to our relationships with each other in the body of Christ. Those are the next steps in our pilgrimage. Baptism is a public profession of that repentance and faith. The preacher refers to them as cleansing rites. It's a public symbol of our identification with Jesus in his death burial, and resurrection. The laying on of hands symbolizes shared blessing and burden within the community. The last two, resurrection of the dead and the final judgment, have to do with our future as followers of Jesus who have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. This is amazing and great news because eternity, eternal life will be wonderful and glorious forever. For those who are in Christ Jesus. This is our foundation. I heard a pastor one time said, I preach the gospel every Sunday and I'm going to do it until they get it. Well, you know, once we get it, there should be a point where we get it. Where we know these things and we know why we believe these things. These six things. The preacher in Hebrew says are the foundation as followers of Jesus. They are our foundation. Jesus taught these things. These are basics. And we're pilgrims now. Progressing in this journey. Let's make progress from there. Continue to surrender and grow towards maturity. Yeah, we fail, we fall, we stumble, we mess up. The next three verses have created much worry in many people. And it's because of those thoughts of us messing up. Well, well how bad do I have to mess up? What, what, what happens? We need to remember that this progress does not affect salvation. Our salvation comes from God. He saves us. And he will keep us. Verse 4, it is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. To their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. Land that drinks in the rain often falling on it and that produces a crop useful to those for whom it is farmed receives the blessings of God. But land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and it is in danger of being cursed. In the end, 
it will be burned. Like I said, the, the good news here is that there are many other biblical passages that we are very clear on. If we took this if we took these few verses right here out of the context of Scripture, imagine the theology we could build on those. But you see, this is only part of the Word of God. We have the whole Word of God. And, and we need to make sure that as best we can, we can reconcile it all unto itself. I mean, there are questions here, right? What, it, what, what about this word <clears throat> impossible? And what does, does it mean to have tasted the heavenly gift and, and the goodness of the word? What does all of that mean? I, I read four different commentaries over the last week on, on, on all of this. And, and honestly, there should just be a standalone message on this. There are lots of, of theological options that people have come up with. Um, he, some say that, that this is a hypothetical situation, that this really, we don't have to fear this happening. Um, others, others, you know, there are those who, who are more um, on the, the, the Calvinist side who say it's, it's this, and, and they have biblical verses that support this, and then there are those who side completely and wholly with, with Arminius and his theological bent, and they find those verses that support this, and, and if you only use those, then okay, fine, you're here. Or if you only use these, okay, fine, you're here. But regardless... And, and I, I, I believe that, that I've read some options that, that I'm comfortable with. But I don't have time to give you all of those this morning. Um, but, but here's one of the things that, that we, we always struggle with. I mean, we all probably know someone whose spiritual life could be described this way. Um, they were a good friend or even a close relative. Maybe you grew up together in the same church. You, you attended the same worship services. Maybe the same Sunday school classes. Maybe you served together in your church community. And then life got hard for them. There was a tragic death in the family or cultural persecution came down on them. Or maybe it was a decision to follow a path of sin, a sinful lifestyle that, that no longer convicts their heart, but they just flat out justify as they live and have chosen to live this way. But see, as he describes this, it goes even deeper than that. Because they're not only avoiding spiritual matters, but they're actively against Jesus Christ. They, they deny him and all he has done. They are subjecting him, the preacher says, to public disgrace. This passage is not referring to people who are depressed about the failures in their spiritual life or they're a backslider who has temporarily lost interest in the things of God. No, these people being described here as having fallen away are in fierce opposition to Jesus Christ and the gospel. They're doing everything they can to convince people that it's not the real deal, that there's another thing, that there's another way. It's public rebellion against Christian things, and they are determined to bring Christ's work to an end. And they keep on crucifying and keep holding him up to contempt. Now, one commentator I read said that that verse uh, 6 right there, um, 
that, that, that the Greek there is, is present participle. I think I get this right. I don't understand. Somebody that's an English major could tell me if I'm getting this right or wrong. But um, basically what he said was, because it says it is, it is impossible. Okay? It is impossible, that present participle, it is impossible for them to be brought back to repentance while they are subjecting him to public disgrace, while they are thinking and, and being this way. But if there is a point where they stop, in his mind there is, there's hope for them to return. Um, this, let me go on with this because I, I want to kind of tidy this up a little bit. This is serious business for sure. It, it is. Um, These fierce opponents, although formerly had all the visible signs and marks of a truly committed Christian, were not genuinely born again by God's Spirit. Every commentary I read said that. They all agree. They all agree. They may have convinced others that they were believers and at one time even persuaded themselves that they belonged to Christ, but their so-called conversion proved to be illegitimate and counterfeit, just as some of the seed in Jesus' famous parable of the soils produced merely temporary growth so that it sprouted and grew, but, but because the, the, of the weeds, the hard things, the struggles, the shallow dirt, it choked that out. It, there was no genuine faith there. Uh, and as I said, you could take this totally out of context, which is why we need to be diligent to study all of the word. In fact, even the preacher in Hebrews 9 assures us of this. Even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are convinced of better things in your case. The things that have to do with salvation. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped the people and continue to help them. God, you see, God knows our hearts. God knows your heart. Genuine salvation gives us hope and peace and joy. And yes, it is tested often. God tested the nation of Israel. He says it right there in the Old Testament. I was testing them. Why? For proof of genuine faith. We're, we're being tested. Genuine salvation gives us hope and peace and joy. Yes, it's tested. But he empowers us to endure. He empowers us to have power over sin and evil. Uh, and then next, this progress results in fruitfulness. Genuine faith in Christ will produce fruit. I heard an evangelist one time, he said, we are not to all be judges, but we are to be fruit inspectors. Right? Inspecting the fruit in our own life and others so that we might help one another to faith. Psalm 34, 8 says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. See, that's what happens when, when, when we're following Christ and life gets tough. We, we lean into him. We take refuge in him. Because just as the disciples said, when all of those, when, when Jesus gave some hard teaching and, and practically all of the disciples walked away and Jesus turns to the 12 and he says, well, what about you? What was their answer? Where else would we go? You are the real deal. 
You are the Lord. You are the King. As genuine followers of Christ, that is our response. And we experience blessing when we take refuge in him each time. Matthew 13, 16, Jesus himself said, But blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. May that be true of all of us. When we truly listen to God's word and obey it, we're blessed. Now, there's a difference between blessing and the easy life. Let's not forget that. We are blessed. And a final point under the topic of the call to spiritual maturity is the progress, this progress demands diligent effort. Verse 11 and 12. We want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end. So that what you hope for may be fully realized. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. May we not get lazy in our faith. May we put the full force of all that we are and all that we have and, and, and all that we are into trusting God every day. Because when we do, no matter what God allows to happen in our life, it will be better. In the end, it will be better. I mean, we're, we're fine with people in here who are, who are health nuts. You know, you say, you always say, no pain, no gain. Right? If that's okay for your body, why isn't it okay for our soul? First Timothy 4, 7, and 8. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both this present life and the life to come. You know, four months ago, February 17th, felt like a long time. You know, three years ago, we didn't think we'd ever get to year 2023, right? And here we are. Boom! How did we get here so fast? I'm telling you, this life that we're living, it's short. Super, super, super short. Man, let's live it for Jesus. And, and then, and then, and then, eternity. That's not short. That's forever. So we've seen spiritual immaturity and what the opposite is. We've heard the preacher call us to spiritual progress. Finally, he gives us the basis for spiritual security. God assures us that he will take care of us. We have assurance in salvation. First, the preacher says that we have God's promise. Verses 13 through 15, when God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. Now God's description of Abraham being patient and mine must be different. Because it seems that Abraham got pretty impatient after a period of time. Um, always grace, always grace. Uh, Abraham exhibited sin of impatience many times, but he repented. I mean, he was a man, but he was chosen by God. 
and he responded in faith. We can read many aspects of his journey. God brought salvation into the world through Abraham and his descendants. He, he promised it, and it is promised to all. It came through the Jews, but it is available to all, Gentiles and Jews alike. Amazing to think about, but it is true. We actually have more promises from God than Abraham did. The patriarch of the nation of Israel, and we have more promises than he did from God. Praise Jesus. To the woman at the well, Jesus said, you Samaritans worship, worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. And then we, you go on to see that she is saved, that she repents. And in her new faith, proclaims the truth and the whole town, the whole town is changed. John 5, 24, very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Oh, the promises of God, we can count on them. God also made an oath concerning this. God not only gave Abraham a promise, he confirmed that promise with an oath. People swear by someone greater than themselves, verse 16. And the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie— we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. But the oath wasn't only to Abraham, it was to all of us. God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose clear, it says, to the heirs of what was promised. That's us. That's us. This oath is for us too. Abraham and his descendants were the first, but every believer is included. Our assurance of salvation is guaranteed by God's promise and God's oath. And I mean, how encouraging can you get? John 10, 26 through 30, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep, as the great shepherd Jesus says, listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one, no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. To those who have fled to Jesus Christ, he is our eternal refuge. He is our great shepherd, and as our great high priest, he will never die, and we have eternal salvation. No avenger can touch us, because he has already died and rose from the dead for us. That is why our greatest anchor, our eternal hope, is in God's Son, Jesus we have this hope, verse 19, as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. There's that name again. 
Jesus has filled the law on our behalf. Jesus tore the veil to the Holy of Holies. He goes before us as our forerunner. We just cling to him. We anchor to him. We go with him. We go to him. He has gone to heaven so that we may follow him one day. The original recipients of this sermon were being tempted to go back in their old ways, to return to the temple and its religious rituals. The preacher encourages them, don't do it. And Ian encourages us this morning, don't do it. Don't go the path of least resistance. And and I believe that as genuine followers of Jesus Christ, we will not. We will cling to him. When we get into trouble, we anchor to Jesus. We anchor to Jesus and our spiritual life will strengthen. We will be pilgrims of progress. Worship team, come up. And as you do, I want to read this last passage. Write this in your notes. Romans 8, 28 to 39. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? He will bring any charge against those. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Yes, Garrett, you're right. The devil, he absolutely would. But it is God who justifies Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth or anything else in all creation will separate us. From the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you memorize those verses and you repeat those at the face of temptation, at the face of struggle, at the face of death, you will know and you will be reminded. Just like that hymn we sang, it is well with my soul. How can it not be well with your soul? Maybe not your, maybe your emotions are still struggling, physically you're still struggling, but your soul. As you listen to that song and you know what, what Spafford went through and he was able to say those words in the face of the loss of my children, my soul, it is well. Let's trust in him this week. Let's worship with this last, last song.